We will annihilate everything. Champions of this realm can do nothing to stop us. You are very menacing. I just want you to know that. A lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Shazam! And then everybody got superpowers. Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right, here's the situation. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. Children stole the power of the gods. Shazam! You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. It was the power's child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey, Khaleesi! Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. We have one job to do. Save the world. Finley! I don't know how we fight powers like this. I can't do this. Take my powers back. You gave them to me, so you can take them back, right? I spent millennia searching for a worthy champion. You know exactly what must be done. Billy, what are you doing? I have to do this. We end this now. Yeah, we do. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Hey everybody, welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he is Steve, and we want to wish each and every one of you a festive St. Patty's Day this March 16th, 2022, in episode 311. We are going to be writing to our topic of the day, which is... Shazam! Fury of the Gods movie review. So there's no need to skip ahead whatsoever. I do believe that it is important that we are going to be uh, getting into spoiler territory, so we want to make sure that is announced properly to all of you fine folks. Steve, what did you think of Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Let's see. I had a great time, Russ. Well, I don't know about great. I had a very good time uh -huh. at the theater. Uh -huh. um, i trying to remember what I said actually with the Shazam <laughs> one. Um... I think I enjoyed that one too, maybe more than I thought I was going to. I think if you like this movie, I think if you like the first movie, you'll like this movie. Let me mm. put it that way. It has a lot of the same charm, mm. I would say, as the first did. But I also think that it also struggles in the same areas that the first one struggled in. Oh, do not, you don't say. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that uh, I think they need to start going different directions. Maybe if they took a little bit longer with the film um, to explore different areas, they could have made it better. Uh, I am struggling with my rating, Russ. Ooh. I'm not, of course, not going to say anything right now, but I've been like, 
tossing it back and forth on the car on the way here, driving 10 miles an hour. I'm like, what should I do? Uh, he will honk. <laughs> oh, I mean, holding traffic. Up. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking about a movie. So my bad. <laughs> you drive like my grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, it is fun. I think the, the visuals are better. Mm-hmm. I had a good time with you. Oh, I thank you. I was amazed how light the theater was. My goodness. Yeah. Here's what I have to say about that. I love going to the movie theater when there is like barely anybody there because I feel yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to inhale anybody's sneeze or there's not going to be anybody talking here. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I kind of, I'm like, I want the movie to do good. You know yeah. I mean? I'm here watching the thing. Um, but there was like one other couple, I think. Maybe two at the Maybe most. Maybe two, yeah, yeah. But, um, whoo, anyhow. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm of the opinion of, um, it's almost like I, I like the extremes. Like either I walk into a theater and there's like barely anyone there. There is a kind of a quality that is associated with being in a theater like that. Cause you're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. I got a right. private screening almost. Right. But then I also like, especially for the tentpole films that there is kind of this organic buzz that gets created when you have like a sold out theater sure. and there's all these people there and you know, everyone is, is super excited Pumped. to see yeah. yeah what, what this film is going to um, contain. And so at that level, it is also fun. I think in the middle is where things get kind of dicey for me, just because more often than not, that's like when you have people who kind of want to see the movie or they right. bring their infants in and you hear babies crying or they bring in their own food. Like you smell some kind of like, or they wish there was someplace else and they're on their phone and you see this bright thing over here. Oh and, yeah. yeah. Or, or like Godly. you have uh, one of the baby boomers in, in the, uh, the, the theater and they, can I just, I have to say something really say quick it. about this. I want to know if you notice this. Okay. I'm noticing more and more that the the boomer generation, as it applies to their cell phones, they like to turn on like the, the, the there's like the strobe light effect on the I phone. Can't that, stand you know that. what I'm talking about? Yes. It's like it's one of those things where like you like if anytime they get a text or it's they like, get a phone call, party time. Yeah. <sighs> and it's like it uses the 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 iPhones light the flashlight right. basically which is i mean it's a great Flash, flashlight I mean, right. it, it's it's super bright and everything else but when you're in a, a darkened theater not so much do you want that going off and i mean it illuminates i mean they could be like several rows behind me and i'm still it looks like lightning just flashed in the the theater so really quickly if you're a boomer please ah. turn that feature off you're not so decrepit that you have to have that on you can just be like the rest of us but anyway, I digress. <clears throat> Please, Steve, continue. Sorry, I had to get a little swig of my coffee. Oh, that's all right, Steve. Anyhow, um, had a good time with the movie. And here's here's my thing, Russ. I want to see more of Billy Badson, primarily. Mm, more, more of like the kid. Like not the kid. so much well, the, uh, the not alter ego. The, just the kid and his, you know, his Shazam himself. Uh huh. More so than the rest of the family. Sure. Really, because I think when you have too many people on screen, it's not that they did a bad job. It's that I, I can't care for all of them as much as I care for like our protagonist, right? And so I find myself going, I really want to see this character a lot more. I don't care about the others, but now they have to share all the same screen time. So I'm not really fully invested in 
all of them as much as I want to be. Uh-huh. And it's not to, to dismiss any of them. Like the parents, for example, I love the parents and the kids are great. Oh, they're adorable. Yeah. But like, for example, I wanted, I just hit the table. My bad road. Um, <laughs> clang. I wanted Billy Batson to at 18 years old with the power that he has. Sure starting to become a leader and figuring that out in, you know, high school basically and turning 18 and yet still trying to be a kid and struggling with that. I thought that would be very interesting, but we, and I think they, they explored that just a tad, but not nearly. They were going in that direction. But, um, instead we just kind of have this push and pull of like, of the family, um, you know, he's trying to keep everybody together. Everybody wants to do their own thing. They're not fully invested in being heroes. And I just kind of got a little bit bored of it. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that it ruined it for me, but I th- I think if they explored some of these other issues and themes and whatnot, I think the film could have been a lot better. And I think the jokes would have hit harder too, because as you're getting invested in some of the drama and, and, and figuring out uh, how um, you relate to Billy, mm-hmm. And, and with the drama and the seriousness, then the jokes would hit. And you're like, oh, that's funny. But instead, it doesn't really feel like they would hit as hard because they don't in, like deep dive into the themes all that much. Mm-hmm. And so the jokes were chuckle, but they weren't like that funny. I'm still thankful I laughed, honestly, because I haven't laughed in a movie in quite a long time. So the, the jokes were still pretty decent. But I just felt like it couldn't... They could have done better with it. Maybe if they... See, I go back and forth because I'm glad to see it, Mm -hmm. but I'm almost wondering if they spent longer on, like if it got released later on, how much better it would have been. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. You know, for me, I agree. I I think that uh, I, this movie is fun. I I, Mm -hmm. I think that's the the word that comes to mind most prominently is that just watching the movie, I had fun. I had fun watching it. I had fun seeing uh, Zach Levi back on screen again he he always has this is very uh, fun sense of humor and his presence is just enjoyable to watch but i agree i think in terms of the family if you recall at the toward the end of the first film that's when he decides he wants to share his power with the rest of his his siblings basically right so then you have this moment of like all these different like powerful alter egos that are on screen which actually you know visually it was it was arresting really you're like oh wow look at that but then I remember us doing our previous review of Shazam when um, <laughs> one of the, the concerns that we had, or not necessarily a concern per se, maybe more of a, kind of a curiosity, is how will this move forward now that it's not just Shazam on screen, but it's like every other sibling that now has this power as well. How is that going to work? Because to your point, that means that they're all going to be sharing more of that screen time, which means that Billy is not going to be able to have as much of that to himself. And so it's like, okay, we haven't read the comic books. We don't know. Sure, yeah. I, we're, we're not too familiar with like how this stuff works. And so as, as you know, we, we go into this film, it's like, okay, well, we just don't know how close this is to the comic book and how this all works. Having said that though, what is interesting is that, like you said, all of the of the kids are adorable. They're all great. It's fun to watch them on screen. It's fun to watch the relationships. You know, when when you see that that initial 
save the day scene where the bridge is collapsing. That was actually, in my opinion, really cool to see them all flying around, right. helping each other out, coordinating, yeah, yeah. being a unit. Right. You know, like that was actually, that was super fun. And the humor, I would say throughout most of the movie was spot on. Like that moment where the guy was like, like he's like grimacing as he's pulling these two cars. He's like, I'm oh, just kidding. Yeah, like, it's really easy. Yeah. I just love that because, you know, we've what? seen that so Why many times in other house? like comic book superhero movies, you know, like Spider-Man's like trying to stop the subway, sure. his costumes ripping. He's like, like <laughs> so it was so fun to like watch them kind of poke fun at some right. of those tropes from some of the other here at superhero comic book movies. And, um, and, and even so, like, like the suits look great. The personalities, I, I loved actually both personalities, both the children and right. the alter egos. I thought that they really jived off each other really well. So that aspect of it was fun. I do think there is kind of a, a creative challenge in terms of Shazam. I'm sorry. Shazam! As a character... Because if you recall in the first film, he's a kid. He's he's like this like you know, teenager who's in this like adult body, right? Like he's 13 years old or 14, whatever, however old he was. And so his the way he behaves himself is very much of that age, despite him being in this much older body, right? And that was part of the the, the charm of the first film. And we see that continued in this film. But I, I noticed also that... I was starting to feel a little bit of fatigue in terms of that immaturity. It's really interesting because I still, while I still enjoyed seeing some of those moments where you're, you're constantly reminded, Oh yeah, like this is still, he's, he's 17 or yeah, 18 right. years old and he's about to age out of the system. And you know, he, he's a, uh, he's in, in this, this much more adult looking, you know, 30 something or 40 something year old body. So that, that there is that charm that's still there. But I noticed that I kind of was ready, to, especially toward the end of the movie, for him to move past that. And honestly, I think that is what they are doing with the, the series as a whole. I feel like this movie was kind of a transition from him being more immature and having his immature antics to suddenly kind of embracing more of that sense of adulthood and responsibility. So, you know, if they make a third film... I would expect it to actually um, have his character mature a bit more, not completely abandon some of the immature antics. You know, it's it's kind of like Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy where like he has, you know, because he wasn't raised by parents, you know, he, he was abducted raised at a very early age. Space pirates. Yeah, space pirates and stuff. So like there there is that level of like immaturity that's there, but that's part of his charm. That's part right. of him being a scoundrel, right? Like that's that's part of his lovable personality. And I feel like, uh, Shazam is in that same boat. What? So my thing is too back to heck, his leadership. I didn't feel like the rest of the family or team, like at the end of the movie, they grew any. Um, after you know he, Billy's having meeting after meeting after meeting, going, "This is how we need to be better. This is how we, what we need to pay, pay attention to." And everyone's just like, "Oh, I gotta go to work. Oh, I gotta do something else." Like towards the end, when they're facing their demise, basically, and their powers being removed, and they're back to human, trying to hide and run and survive against this onslaught of monsters and demons and whatnot, I wanted to see more of them going, yes, Billy, like, you know, we respect that you're 
that you know more than us, that we're taking your leadership. We're going to follow you. Um, you know, we're, we each share the same power, but you have like the, the vision and the foresight, you know, and I just didn't see that commitment towards the end of the movie that I was looking for. Everybody just kind of was their own person again. And yeah, there was like this moment with the, the, the foster parents and the family, which I thought was really cool, but I just didn't, I, towards the end of the movie, I really didn't feel any more invested in any of the, the family. Yeah. Maybe Freddie a bit. We all like Freddie. You know, he's yeah. just, he's yeah, a let's talk about Freddie. Cause I mean, in my opinion, Freddie was one of the highlights of the entire movie. I felt that, the actor did such a nice job and he, and he was a lot of fun in the first film too. True. But um, especially in this movie, like there were, there was a, a much wider breadth of opportunity to have a range of acting. It wasn't just, Oh, he's the slapstick buddy, right. you know, the sidekick right. or whatever, but there were, I would go so far as to say he actually had more moments that, it wasn't just like cracking jokes, but also like some, some heavier moments. Um, you know, he had moments of vulnerability. He, he had moments of um, like empathy and sympathy. Yeah. He, he had moments of anger. Like there was, a, there was a lot there. And every time he was on screen, I bought it. I, I yeah. totally lo- loved his character. He, uh, to me, it was like, he found his confidence in a way, because he, you know, he's not just the kid in school who's walking on the cane. The arm brace. Or the yeah. arm brace. Or, or, yeah, sorry. Um, and he didn't have his confidence because, you know, the bullies were pushing him around. The girls weren't giving him attention. And he's just the kid who has a very optimistic outlook on life. Oh, he's a he's, fun, funny kid. and Sure. But yeah, his, his physical ailment means that he's unfortunately treated more on the fringe as opposed to being like treated as an equal or right. whatever. And, and, uh, but at the same time, like watching his character, I, I just really like that character. He, to me, he's, he showed more growth than, yeah. Well, I can't, mm. his, his character, I would say out of all the siblings definitely had a character arc. Right. Right. Um, I, I would say like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like he had more, I think what I'm thinking of is he was given more of the opportunity to show how he has grown and learned and matured than they gave for Billy Batson. Yeah. Not so much a bad thing, but it's like, okay, is this Freddy's movie now or is this trans, you know, transitioning more to Freddy or is it still Billy? And so that they didn't really make that clear, at least to me. That being said, I mean, you know, the kid has a huge secret that now he can't display. Yeah. So he's... I mean, he walked with more confidence. He spoke with more confidence. Uh, you saw him being more of a hero, even without his suit and his powers. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to me, it was it was kind of more about, about Freddy, but then they were really trying to push Billy. So it was kind of like this tug of war, and they weren't really, really trying to push anybody else. Going back to what you were talking about with, with uh, Billy doing like, like the, basically the family meetings on, on how to like improve together as a team. It is interesting to watch as they, they weren't in their kid forms. Like, like they were always dedicated to their alter ego form when they were having those meetings, which is interesting because I kind of forgot temporarily that they are in fact children. They are kids, uh, but in these adult bodies and, that makes perfect sense why there was such a lack of focus, a lack of attention and details because they're kids. Like that's what kids do. Like their attention spans are so small. 
And Billy being the the oldest of, of or actually not, he's actually technically not the oldest. His sister, I think, is the oldest because right. she was going to college. Yeah. But I mean, you know, he's around 17, 18 years old. And because he was in, you know, kind of in, endowed with like this, this new type of power and everything else, like he definitely, he values his siblings. He values his family. He values the fact that they are a team. And, and ultimately he, he wants to do good. But again, part of that, that journey and that challenge is at the end of the day, they're all kids, right? You know, I mean, th- there are certain kids on there who look, look like they were about 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. I mean, so, you know, it is interesting. And going back to what you were talking about in terms of uh, Freddie Freeman, you know, it was like some of the, the, the scenes that had a lot of weight to them were the scenes where like, for instance, he had his, his power stripped from him. Because despite him having the arm brace and him dealing with certain things and that sort of whatever, you always knew in the back of your mind what, you know, at least he has this outlet right. of being able to feel like he's just uh, so much more stronger and not having to, to deal with any kind of weaknesses. But then when that was taken, it was like, oh no, like they, they really did a nice job portraying how utterly vulnerable he was. But at the same time, also show that he actually had courage. He had courage and he had, uh, well, he had courage and conviction, but he also had kind of this natural, not totally immunity, but like, if you notice when he was just in his normal form, like the, the dragon, for instance, they were talking about how the kind of the essence of the dragon is that it, it's, it's filled with fear. And so right. like when, yeah, it, when yeah, it, yeah, it breathes that. out right. like that blue flame, for example, it's basically, terrifying it's so, victim yeah, fear to death. stricken yeah yeah like you're just you're paralyzed whatever but like he actually had the ability to weather it to a certain extent right. which again that was also a very powerful thing for the character and for us to see is like we're to- as as viewers we're totally feeling for his predicament being stripped of his power having to rely on just his human form and stuff but then seeing that as well um, I felt it, it was kind of moving in its own way. And it, yeah, I totally agree. And even there were scenes where like, you know, he is somehow, I forgot how he got transported to the cell of the wizard. Yeah. He's already thinking like, okay, what's, what kind of game plan are we going to make? He's not, there's no self pity with yeah. him. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. There was no self pity. He's trying to plan on how to get out and he's even as handicapped as he is, he's like, what good can I still do? Right. And he's still playing. I mean, if you recall in the first film, remember when Sam got his powers right? and he was just at odds with himself. He's like, what the heck? And and it was Freddie who's like the big comic book geek, right? Like he loves uh, superheroes and he's totally in tune with the DC world and that sort of thing. And, he was almost acting as Billy's coach right? because he's like, well, I don't know. Like, do you have to like, can you go fast? Can you like shoot, like fly? He he was suggesting all these different things and also encouraging his friend. And, and while, while it's not, I mean, his friend is, it's his brother. His brother was at odds with this new uh, type of power that he had, but then Freddie was able to really be at his side and support him and say, no, this is, you are so lucky to have this and, and what that implicates and what that means. And um, yeah, like, for, like I said, Freddie was, was one of my favorite characters from the yeah. first movie. And I'm so happy to see him grow in, in the second film. It almost seems like <laughs> when in the first film, when the wizard was looking for somebody to give the powers to, uh-huh. 
He should have found Freddie. <laughs> and I mean, like, dude, you have a heart of gold. You're courageous. I see a lot. And I mean, not to take anything away from Billy, but like, Freddie really has all the qualities. And I'm almost wondering, like, you know, it should have been switched. Yeah. He should have been <laughs> yeah. in, in the beginning. <laughs> We, we have to talk about the relationship on the on-screen uh, adventures of Jaimon's character as Dude. a wizard and Freddie Freeman. Because I mean, like every scene I see them on, it was just hilarious. And Jaimon was like, honestly, it didn't matter if it was Shazam or if it was Freddie on screen because it was just hilarious and so like you know the the whole them trying to escape the the i guess it's the like the greek realm or something but um you know the hijinks that they found themselves in the dialogue exchanges that they had were, were just funny it was so funny to watch them do their thing at the, at the same time it was cool to watch them also try and figure out how to get out of there one of the funniest moments and most jarring moments, of course, was when Billy's having that dream of him being in his Shazam form and he's out to dinner <laughs> with Wonder Woman. You, you never see Wonder uh, Woman's face like they're always kind of cutting away. And at first, when I saw that, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if this is like their cheap way of like, maybe it's like a, a double, like a stunt yeah. double or, or an right. acting double where it's, like, it's not yeah. Gal Gadot and like, you know, so the, but but they're kind of poking fun at like you know budget constraints or something sure, like that. Exactly my thoughts. And then they turn it on its ear, where like you, she turns for the big reveal, and all of a sudden is Jaimon's face on Wonder Woman's body. I was serious. Yeah. I mean, I think we both screamed. We're like, ah, oh, and, and then it, it just turned to laughter watching the, like the body like emote in a way that made sense to what Jaimon was saying. And the whole thing was so grotesque and like, you know, it, and then he wakes up from the dream and you're like, of course, that's, that's totally what a dream would be like. You know, how these things just don't make sense. At the same time though, from a storytelling perspective, it was Jaimon like trying to communicate and get Billy to help right. him out and that sort of thing. So that was, that was super fun. I have to jump ahead in the sense that since we're talking about uh, Wonder Woman, right? Loved how she did make a grand Dude. cameo appearance, and which again, when you think about like the 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 first film, the first film they had Superman come in, and while you didn't necessarily see right. Henry Cavill's face, Henry Cavill was in, like he did make that cameo, right. like he was there, which was great because <laughs> I recognized the abs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could recognize those pectorials anywhere. <laughs> But no, like, I think that was one of the strengths of the first film was that they made it a, it was, honestly, it was one of the first DC films to encapsulate this broader world of DC because that was one of the struggles was like all these DC films that were coming out were like these standalone films, these standalone trilogies. But it was Shazam! That was the one that really embraced this notion. Hey, this is this is a whole world. This is kind of like the MCU. Like right. the Marvel Marvel Studios was really really good during their phases mm. one, two, and three of um, making this ecosystem, which I talk about quite a bit on the show, where you you are aware that all these superheroes are not siloed off into their own worlds or standalone movies, but they actually do. I mean, they make several guest appearances in the other superhero standalone films. This film was the first time that I can think of where 
you know, DC started to also exercise that and it pays off in dividends because you're just so jacked to see, yes, like Wonder Woman can be in other films. Superman can be in other films. Even with the the Flash movie that's coming out later this year where we have Batman um, coming into his world, not only is it Batman, but it's Michael Keaton's Batman. Right. That, that gets like a huge thumbs up from me and from uh, many fans just simply because they're no longer siloed. So I have to talk about the ending then because we're talking about Wonder yeah, Woman. Yeah, go ahead. We're so, talking about Gal Gadot and dude, Wonder Woman. So. Oh my gosh. So I, of course I'm a fan of when stuff happens that I'm not expecting to happen. Oh, yeah. I, I can't help my brain thinking, oh, you know, okay, this is a trajectory of what's going to go. And sometimes it does. I'm like, knew it. Yeah, predictable. And then, yeah. And then sometimes it doesn't. No, and it gives me goosebumps. Yeah. This was like my oh snap moment. Yeah, That's yeah. me trying to keep it clean <laughs> uh, because I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, man, the budget constraints. They're not going to show Gal's face. Come on. You know, see the suit, nothing. So at the end, they're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen to Billy. I'm like, well, gee whiz. I mean, he's going to come back alive somehow. They'll figure it out. Somehow, maybe, some way. Maybe by the third movie, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe it'll be like a cliffhanger for the movie, right? Like, right. oh, no, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how is he going to come? I mean, you know he's going to come back because he's a huge character, but right. you don't know when. You're right. like, are they going to, is this going to be a part of like the James Gunn right. new DC universe? And that's like, what I thought too. I'm like, are they getting rid of like Zach Levi? I'm like, yeah. he's Shazam. I don't want anybody else to be Shazam, but, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Zachary Levi. And so I'm like, either direction, like, okay, they're taking this direction. Wow, that's really got serious. Okay, cool. So I thought, that's awesome. And then they went the opposite direction. And when that, with the guitar playing, I got goosebumps. Yeah. That was the coolest thing they could have done. And it took all everything out of me. Like, just not to go, oh, snap, you know? In the middle of the year, that was so freaking awesome. It was, yeah. Uh, it was, it was the payoff. Yeah, because that was the thing too. Is like, we were ever since we saw that dream that Billy had, we we're kind of like, oh, like, like that would have been such a cool moment to bring. Yeah, yeah, like, like, well, it would have been cool to actually see Gal, and and that was totally in the cards the whole time. They were just doling it out, and that was the big payoff. And I mean, she's so beautiful. Like every time I see her on screen, you're just like, my goodness, like she's such a great Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what they did though? What? They're releasing posters showing both Shazam and Wonder Woman on them. Like they're giving it away. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. I saw that like the day after we, uh, yesterday. You're I saw it. What? I'm absolutely serious. They're starting to put posters out giving it away. Oh, that's, that, that, that's a big no-no. Man, like, shoot yourself in the foot. My goodness. Yeah, you can't, you cannot be Man. trying to advertise that because that, that is one of the highlights Dude. of the entire movie. Like if you, gosh, I'm really surprised they would do that. I can't believe it. I mean, especially when you when you think about the number of other cast members that, you know, they have way more screen time than Gal does right. or Wonder Woman does. So they can easily populate, you know, the, the composition of the poster. But Dude, you, really? You, I'm absolutely serious. Did you see this online? I saw it online. I was going to say, because I didn't see anything like that at the theater we went to. I know. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see it. It was the day after. It was like they had the movie posters for... Yeah! And... At like days after that, they would release new posters of both showing and Wonder Woman. Anyway, um, so a big letdown. That, I, I'm, I'm looking. Um, I'm wanna, looking at Google. Yeah, it? I, I'm. You got me curious now. Shiz. 
I saw it on a few different sites. Uh, anyway. I'm, I'm wondering if what you saw were more of the wallpaper sites that try to combine a bunch of stuff together as opposed to like the official press kit from DC. They did. I'm not sure, honestly, what they, I, it was a movie poster is what I saw, but I don't know what part of what press kit that was from, but I'm, I'm doing anyhow. like an image Google search while you're talking to see. So while you're doing that, I want to go back to the wizard. Sure. Go back to because the wizard. I didn't, I, I, they didn't really explore. They were talking about how he became Ash in the first movie. And then they, by this one, they're talking about, oh, you're back. You were Ash. But they didn't really go into it that much. And I mean, it was fine because I love his character, but I kind of wanted more of an explanation of how did he come back and how did he become in prison and what's going on? And they didn't really go into it. Regardless, one thing I want to say that is nothing to do with this movie, the actor who played the wizard, Jaimon, I can't remember his last name. Dude, that guy brings depth in almost every character that he plays, he regardless does, yeah. if it's Amistad or Gladiator or one of those space uh, mercenaries from Guardians of the Galaxy or this one. And I walked out of that theater and I thought, why didn't he get the part of Black Panther? Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Dude, he would have brought such strength and depth. And, uh, and authenticity. Authenticity. I mean, you know, like, yeah, that I, I didn't even think about. Well, that would be incredible. Again, this comes from me not reading the comic book. So I don't know if they are particularly strict with the age group because Jaimon looks like he's probably in his fifties now. Um, at least, I don't know if he's in his fifties or sixties, somewhere around there. But having said that, I, I mean, that's a great idea. Like, like if there isn't necessarily like, like, uh, uh, I mean, even if they were to, to create a story with him being almost like, a an interim, you know, black Panther uh -huh. as they go on, uh -huh. you know, because they've lost, their king and they need someone else to, to come in to play or whatever. And I realize that the, the sister of black Panther of T'Challa is in the comic book. She does take on the helm, that sort of thing. But yeah, like just looking at Jaimon by himself. Yeah. He would make, he would make epic black Panther man. And plus, I mean, okay. So he looks older. Yeah. T'Challa's father was black Panther up until he passed away. That's very, very Beyond good his point. 60s. That's a very good point. And Jaimon's face. Okay. If he grows his facial hair. Yeah. Okay. It's gray. It don't matter. Like the guy has a very young looking, very defined and prominent facial structure feature. Like, like you could see his jaw and his chin, anything. He's got a great face for it. He's got a great voice for it. The dude's buff. Like he fits the role. Yeah. Um, not to mention all the fight sequences are all CG anyway. So it's not like he would have to extend himself. Yeah. Disney. Listen to this pink cheeked bald guy. <laughs> Cast him now, please. That That's a really good idea for sure. Like I, it's so funny because I, I totally blanked on it too until you started talking about it and it, it makes perfect sense like that. Wow. Like I'm kind of riveted in my seat right now at th that idea. Like that is, that's crazy. Well, so I, 
I haven't been able to find any kind of poster that has Wonder Woman in the Shazam posters. Um, it doesn't mean it's not there. I'll just have to keep looking for it. And uh, for some reason, like, I cannot I'll find I'll send it to you. the Shazam 2 uh, press kit. Because usually you can take a look at that, and they have, like, all the official posters and trailers and so forth. But anywho, let's talk about Anth- uh, Anthea, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, she was played by Rachel Zegler. Yeah. She was the, uh, the the youngest sister of the Greek sisters. Way younger. Way younger. Uh, beautiful woman. Like, yeah. I, you know, the I think a lot of that also played into the character that she was playing, where clearly Freddie... Uh, is getting attention. Right. Yeah, like she she was just captivating. But I think more so her kindness, her the character's kindness, um, even though at first like she was totally playing him because she was trying to figure out where the superheroes right. are so they could take him out. She had nefar- nefarious purposes. <laughs> but it she turned out to actually have a heart after all, feel guilty about how she treated him, started to have like feelings for him, that sort of thing. Um, I think it, it, it's a classic example of someone who is both physically attractive, beautiful, but also has that that type of personality uh, and treatment of others that also really kind of comes more to the forefront in terms of that being attractive. Well, I, I figured you would agree with me on that, Steve. I would. It seemed like she, I, I liked how they didn't just, flip the switch and make her bad to good. You know, yeah. she had some good in her and it was a journey. Like it was a process where like she realized like, yeah, I kind of did that guy dirty. Like, and now I feel really dirty as a result of that. And then seeing like how her uh, sister that was played by Lucy Liu, like was just so hell bent right. on trying to do destruction. Power hungry. And yeah. And, and, and even that was interesting too. When you think about the sister dynamic within the film, how they all kind of came from different perspectives but it wasn't one dimensional in the sense of like one of them being the, the the leader of the others or whatever. It was like they they constantly kind of assessed yeah. and like threw their their weight in. It was kind of like whatever like two out of three was, that's that's what they decided to go with, which was cool. It wasn't just like I'm gonna usurp you two and I'm gonna be the the one, you know, who's most powerful. It did occur to a certain extent once she moved forward with the plan. Yeah. And I also liked how it wasn't fake with her in the school with yeah. Freddie. Like yeah. she genuinely noticed that he was a good person. He had a yes. good heart. Yeah. And there was that rooftop scene where um, where she's basically saying, oh, you've met a superhero. She kind of baiting him on, mm-hmm. but not in the fact that she wanted him to die or get hurt. It was so that they could execute their plan, right? right. And so when Freddie himself, right? <laughs> And he's speaking with her. She has that line of like, I'm, I hope Freddie doesn't come back because I don't want him to get hurt. And she genuinely felt that way. Yeah. She had that kind of process of realization going on where she, like you said, she, she realized he's a good kid. And not only that, but then also uh, coming to terms with the fact that, oh, like he is one of the superheroes. Like I think that that was a moment of conflict for her character. Let me ask you about the sisters though. Um, do you feel like they were a, I don't feel like I want to say generic, but I didn't really think they were generic. I don't want to say that there was a, there was something that was missing from them where the beginning of the moving happens and they just exist. Like mm. they just walk into the museum and 
you know, okay, you know, later on in the movie, you could see that, okay, I guess they could kind of travel between realms and whatever, whatnot, but they were just there and they didn't really have a story. Uh, they were just like, okay, here's, here's what we're telling you is happening and just accept it without noticing like the backstory. Did you, did you feel that way at all with them? Similar like that or different or not? They were the daughters of Atlas. Right. And I found, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that this is all Greek. Like it's the kind of like the, the Greek side of things. They're mentioning Zeus. So I would say so. Yes, that's true. That's very true. <clears throat> but I, I think for me, it was like, it was kind of a broader, um, visual jarringness is the best thing I can think of off the drop of my noggin. But essentially I was at odds with the, the, the Greek world that Shazam was fighting against. Like if you think about it, so they're in modern day, uh, is it Philadelphia? Uh, Yeah. And, um, like, so you're going to have kind of a culture clash going on where, where you see them in kind of their Greek Roman esque attire, their, their, their fatigues, you know, their, their armor and that sort of thing, which to a certain extent can work in certain instances. Uh, but in others, it, it doesn't necessarily work. And so I, I think that was where I was struggling a little bit with why these characters are the chosen villains for this film. And not only that, but also, as they begin to take over Philadelphia uh, and they plant the tree and you, then you start to see these classic uh, Greek monsters come up like Cyclops and all these different types of um, characters that we've read from uh, Greek mythology. And we've seen like in, in old school movies, you know, stop motion movies and stuff like that. Um, so it, it, I don't know. I had this weird reaction to it where I was thrilled to see like these cool CG updated versions of these classic monsters. But I was thinking also like, do they fit in the world of Shazam? <laughs> and I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer of yes or no. I, I do realize that probably part of why I'm in the middle is because once again, I don't read the comic books. So I don't know if this is like a mainstay, like is this part of or, or a large part of the world of that comic book or not? Like I, again, I'm kind of, I'm going in more, more as a movie goer, but it was kind of jarring. Like the jarring is the word I would use where like when, when you see the sisters come up and they're getting the staff and, and they're in their armor, it did make sense in terms of them being in a museum. Right. Because as we all know, like museum settings are all about like historical references and artifacts and like just having, once again, having that aesthetic be the environment or the setting, they fit more into that. And I loved how like they turned every, you know, they kind of like, like, inverted like all these different types of sculptures and things that were made of stone and dust. And they, they actually turned the visitors and tourists into those actual things. That was actually uh, pretty original. That, that was pretty fun in, in my view, but yeah, look at looking into more of like the Greek realm. <laughs> I don't necessarily have like a, a full concrete answer. I definitely don't think that they had the same type of presence as a Thanos, right? Sure. Right. And they're uh, yeah, not, no, they're yeah. not designed that way, but I do think it speaks more toward the challenge that a lot of these comic book movies have where 
the the heroes tend to be way more well thought out and memorable than the villain counterparts. Now, when you are in, say, um, a Spider-Man movie or a Batman movie, we've talked about this multiple times on the show about how those two properties are some of the best in terms of their roster of villains because they are well thought out. They are memorable. You're very much uh, immersed and curious about how they work, what their uh, MO is, so to speak. So, and Marvel has this challenge too, where like there are, there are several standalone movies that we've seen where the villain just, you're just kind of like, wow, like this villain is kind of forgettable. Like they're, they're not, they don't have the screen presence that some of these other ones do. And so I think that DC also has that challenge. And I also think too, DC isn't necessarily known for as many like really memorable villains. Like you do have certain ones like, like, you know, like I was saying, Batman has great villains. Superman, I would argue has a handful of really memorable, cool villains. Um, but then you go beyond Batman and Superman and some of these villains that you see tend to, I don't want to say be generic, but like they definitely don't hold. It's like, if I were to ask you, Hey, you know, uh, what kind of memorable villains are from Wonder Woman? <laughs> you know, you, you, you'd be, you'd probably think about how there's a uh, Chitara or whatever. What's his face. But like, other than that, <laughs> I, I can't really think of like ones that once again, obviously they all have villains, but they're not on like a level like Brainiac, right? right? They're not on a level that's on Lex Luthor or right. you know, even Brainiac doesn't sound Joker doesn't sound threatening or menacing either. You know, just, but, but as but as a character, yeah, the name is kind of funny. It's it's like one of those names where you're like, eh, this was made in the 50s, wasn't it? <laughs> but at the same time, like when, as you start to understand the power, I mean, Brainiac is one of the like really powerful villains in, in the world DC. And in fact, even the, the Suicide Squad video game, um, that's the premise is that Brainiac has successfully taken over all of the, you know, Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, basically has taken over the Justice League and now uh, is having them wreak havoc around the world. So he's definitely no villain to be trifled with. It's just his name is kind of like, eh, okay. Right. Has, hasn't aged necessarily like a fine right. wine, in my opinion. So that's mm. my long-winded answer to your question, Steve. Mm. <laughs> Did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss or should we go into final thoughts? Let me ask you one more thing. I love it when you ask me questions, Steve. This will be a quickie. Oh. Not a Netflix and chill, just a quickie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Here I was thinking it'd be a yes or no answer and then you took it there, didn't you? (laughs) So, anyhow. (laughs) Did you... Feel, do you feel like this movie, like they were writing this movie to appeal more towards people like you and me, mm. age-wise, or like the, the teenager, younger, probably haven't read the original comic book, age market, Russ? I would definitely say that it was probably more for the teeny bopper crowd, more, yeah. more of the teenagers, that sort of thing. Uh, I think that that's one of the big draws is that they're pushing on having th- the teenagers be able to identify with these characters because as teenagers, we're, you know, whenever we are at that age, 
we are always wondering what it's like to be an adult, right? We're in that weird transition between no longer being a kid, but we're not quite an adult yet, but we're starting to take on some adulting responsibilities, but we're not trusted and we're not old enough to actually be a full 100% adult. And so I think that's where one of the strengths of this particular film shines is that if you are between the ages of like 13 to 18 years old, it will resonate with you more. But I mean, having said that, I don't think that it necessarily excludes old fogies like you and I. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of struggling with with it a bit because at some point we're having to identify with these kids who are very young. Yeah. Teeny boppers. Yeah. Billy's older, but it, yeah, there, there is a divide. I, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. There, there is, there is a, an age gap that's there in terms of, you know, when you, when you are in your forties, you have a bit of a, a wealth of life experience as opposed to when you're 15 years old. Having said that though, I mean, there are certain aspects of perspective, like, you know, I'm not a foster parent, but I am a parent. And so I can, empathize with some of the things that, that the, the foster parents were going through and they were totally lovable just like they were in the first film. It was fun to see them make a return and even having, you know, a a, a poignant moment was when they discovered that their children were actually superheroes and they really did a nice job conveying that, um, through the performance of their faces where, uh, like, they went through this whole myriad of different reactions of surprise, shock, admiration, concern, uh, outrage that they weren't told about this, but then at the same time just are, are so proud of them and, and sure. what they're doing and what they've done in the past that they were not aware of. You know, right. like there's just a, a lot of that that um, was there. But yeah, I, w- I would say overall, you know, they probably leaned. It was, the focus was more on the, the teenager demographic. Gotcha. That might be why I think we're... Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's not wrong with it, but I feel like that's why we're kind of, or at least me, I should say, coming to grips with some of the stuff that are showing and how they're writing it is, I, I think if I was younger, I'd probably appreciate it more. I do appreciate, well, I could probably just go into final thoughts with that, really. Go ahead, Steve. Go I, into I, final thoughts. Here's the thing with, with, shoot up! Is... I appreciate what they're really trying to do with the movie. And honestly, I feel like where they really succeeded is making it still keeping the charm and the fun with the movie in comparison to a lot of the Marvel stuff that we've received lately. We've just had, in my opinion, the, a lot of the Marvel stuff, Spider-Man aside, because that's been awesome. Oh, No Way Home? Uh, I mean, all the spider Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the MCU stuff we've, we've received, I haven't, felt they put any kind of TLC into. It's really about the amount of content versus the quality of content I felt like. And so this, I had a better time with it just because they kept it light and charming and fun. Um, I, like I said in the beginning, I did enjoy my experience at the theater. And although I probably would not see it again in the theater, I definitely want to see it when it comes out on HBO Max. And I have a push and pull with it because, again, they're they're writing in issues that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Coming to terms with the powers that you have, 
dealing with, okay, now that you have this, what are you going to do with it and how are you going to help? With that, keeping it a secret and still trying to be a kid and appreciate your childhood. So yeah. there, there's a lot of stuff they written in there that I really do appreciate. It just, where it kind of just falls short is that it, they didn't take it to where I wanted them to take it. Mm. Um, anyway, I don't want to go on too far with it, but the movie also had a lot of scenes that I thought were not predictable and that gives a lot of points for me. So I would say not to you know, rehash you all over again, but um, I think I'm going to go with a three and a half. Okay. I think I'm going to go with a 3.5. Um, I, I do think everybody should give this movie a shot. You're not, even if you are on superhero overload, which I kind of am, I, I still had fun with it. I just, I mean, I would say don't keep your expectations up here, but if you've seen the first movie, you're not going to keep your expectations here. If you keep it mid-level, it's going to be met at mid-level and you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Honestly. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Steve. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, in conclusion for me, I think that, uh, once again, it's it's a fun movie with moments of brilliance to it. Um, it's definitely not a perfect film. There are certain aspects to it that I think could have been improved upon. But those moments of brilliance is what really makes it shine. And one of the, um, probably one of the strongest uh, themes that, that they were exploring that we really didn't talk about too much. And I'll just mention it during my final thoughts on this um, is the aging out that happens in foster homes. And I, I was really drawn in at that point in time when the discussion was being had about how Billy, because he's about to turn, you know, he's 17, he's about to turn 18 and how once you hit 18, you age out of the foster care system and how, that was a, a very concerning point for Billy because he loves his family. He had no idea what his parents had planned for him as far as his understanding was concerned. He just figured he would be kicked out. Like he would be out on his own and, and he didn't have like some great paying job and he had this alter ego and how on earth, is, like what is he going to do? And I think that was also really well executed or, or demonstrated in the movie where they were having like those superhero family meetings. Right. And you could tell that he was trying to cling on to them and perhaps it was subconscious in terms of him not really dealing with the fact that he was about to age out and, and didn't know what his future held. So as a result, you know, he's trying to hold on to all of his siblings even tighter, which was suffocating to them because they were younger, they were kids, they had these other interests, they couldn't stay focused, all that kind of stuff. But the point of it was that, that when you saw that vulnerability within Billy that was that was really heavy. That was something that even though I'm not a, a foster kid, um, I could still empathize right. and, and sympathize for that character. Also, when it came to what we discussed earlier with Freddie, you know, what, seeing Freddie's character arc and seeing like how he was able to hold his own and have those moments of courage, as well as those moments of vulnerability and being um, exposed and that sort of thing, I thought was fantastic having um, Jaimon with the Wonder Woman situation and having him be able to have chemistry with all these um, different characters also was a highlight. So the film has like several highlights and great ideas of, of kind of leaning into and exploring certain types of things that I, that I thought uh, really did the film justice. I do think 
the probably the weakest aspect of the movie were the sisters, were the Greek sisters, in terms of an idea. The acting itself was fine. Right. You know, I didn't have any problem with that. But I do feel like it was just too visually jarring in terms of having this like Greek mythology world all of a sudden get slammed into modern day America. And so that kind of took me out a bit of it. Having said that though, like the Anthea, the the, the youngest sister, I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that um, person before acting, but I, I do think um, Rachel did like a really nice job. She had great screen presence I'd be curious to see what her character does moving forward. We saw that she regained her powers at the end. So now she's not only, and I think, I don't, I don't know if she's back to being like an immortal or if she, cause remember they, they, mm-hmm. they turned her to like mortal form. So mm-hmm. I don't know if she's now mortal or if she's still immortal, whatever, regardless, it struck me as she was going to stay on earth. That remains to be seen. We'll have to check that out. But yeah, I, w- I would say I'm with you. I give I give the film 3.5 stars. I think that that's, that's definitely a, a fair rating where there were definitely areas that could have been explored better or perhaps even approached differently. But having said that, it's such a, a, a fun, charming film. You can't help but love seeing Zach on screen. You can't help but love these different characters. I think, though, I'm ready... I'm ready to see Shazam kind of go more into the Justice League, be interact more with like we we've kind of we've now explored the coming of age, right? Of Billy going from being a teenager, going into suddenly becoming a young adult, that sort of thing. I'm ready to see him graduate also with the types of people that he interacts with. I want to see him shoulder to shoulder with Green Lantern or Superman or Flash or, or whatever it may be. Because I feel like that that we've graduated from that origin story. And now, you know, not so much do I want to meddle in these these smaller things as I really want to see not and I don't even know if if that character is or was ever officially a part of the Justice League, maybe on a temporary basis. I don't know. But the point is is that there was a lot of uh potential that was there. So there you go. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. We thank you for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll gain uh, exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention the fact that it will financially help us continue doing the program. Also, click on that subscribe button as well as that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm that drops once a week each week. And while you're at it, you could do a search for at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We'd love to have you there as well. Last but not least, you can also do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will catch you all next week when we review John Wick 4. It's going to be a doozy. (laughs) 